Samuel 16. And I want to try to preach a message today, and you pray for me, because like I said, this is not a traditional Thanksgiving type of message. I want to preach a message today that I've titled, Powerless Christianity. Powerless Christianity. That sounds like an oxymoron, because it is. But I want to read this verse to you, and I want to try to bring out some points that God gave me this week as I read this text. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit, notice this, from the Lord tormented him. Father, we come to you today just asking you to open our eyes and our hearts to receive this word. Help me to rightly divide this word of truth so that your people would be edified, encouraged, that your spirit might convict and reprove where it's needed. And that, Lord, we would never, ever be called powerless Christians. Lord, help us today to respond in faith. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to use an illustration. And of course, as I normally do, I I forgot what I wanted to bring with me this morning. Because I didn't get it ready ahead of time. But I'm still going to use the illustration. I'm sure all of you, especially the men here, but perhaps the ladies do too, have somewhere in your home a pair of gloves. And if you were to take those gloves, whether they're work gloves, mechanic gloves, gardening gloves, or just gloves to keep your hands warm, if you set those gloves on the table, they will pretty much do nothing. They're created for a purpose, but sitting on the table, they will do nothing. Certainly not fulfill the purpose for which they were created. What it takes is for you to place your hand into the glove and give it a source of power. Even though it's created for a purpose, it will not function until there is power placed inside of it, until it is filled with a vessel, so to speak. And I want to use that illustration this morning to get us thinking about what our lives are to look like once we are touched by the Master's hand and become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets us apart. He puts us into the body of Christ, we're called into the kingdom, we're now adopted into the family. God gives us gifts, He gives us a purpose, He gives us a mission, but until we allow the Spirit to operate through our lives, we are like that glove laying on the table. We are ready for action, but we are not powered to action until God moves upon us. Charles Spurgeon said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. The Spirit of God alone enables us to be able to do the work of God effectively. So I want us to Hold our spot here in the text that I read to you today, but I want to bring us up to speed if you're not 100% familiar with this story, or it's been a while since you've looked at this story. Israel desired a king. They wanted a king to rule over them. And so God calls a man, initially by the name of Saul, to be their first king. And I encourage you, if you take notes, or even if you've got a bulletin, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture today. I don't expect you to flip to all this. So just write these down, and as I always encourage you, please don't just take the man in the pulpit's word for things. Go back, be a Berean, study the Word of God, and examine it to be sure, because I'm just a human being who can be wrong, and I try my best to not be. I try to always be obedient to God. But I want you to study the Word for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. 
Don't just always listen to someone else. Okay? So in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, God allows Saul to be called as Israel's first king. And then we also will see a chapter later that God's Spirit falls upon Saul so that he prophesies amongst a group of his peers. So he is empowered by the Spirit of God after being called to be Israel's first king. And then sadly, just a few chapters later, a chapter before where we're at today, Saul is disobedient to the commands of God that were delivered by a prophet named Samuel. Saul was called to go and destroy a nation and its leader, the Amalekites. He doesn't do that. He allows a few of them to remain alive. He allows the king to remain alive. He takes some of the best sheep to worship and sacrifice to God. And Samuel comes along and says, Why do I hear these sheep? There's not supposed to be anything left. Why am I hearing things? And Saul tries to make up an excuse. Samuel's not having any of it. More than that, God's not having any of it. And he is rejected in verse 26 by the Lord as being king over Israel. God removes that position, that title, from Saul. And so, we come to chapter 16. We come to the text that I read to you today, after David is now going to be Israel's next king. We see in verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. I want to ask you a question, and I don't necessarily expect you to have an answer, because there's not necessarily a clear black and white yes or no answer to this question biblically. But I think as with a lot of things, we can draw some conclusions, some inferences from what we see in there. My question to you would be this. Was King Saul saved? Was King Saul a believer? It's easy to look at his life, for at least what we have recorded, and say, man, he sure messed up a lot. If he was saved, he had a lot of baggage, a lot of mess, a lot of sin in his life true but which one of us in this room today doesn't and while we do examine the fruit of people's lives we don't have a picture of Saul's entire lives we do have pictures of his shortcomings but he didn't always get it wrong either and so I I just want to make a proposal to you again study it out for yourself you may come to a different conclusion But I want to read to you a couple of verses about Saul that for me makes me believe he was in fact a believer. That he was in fact saved. The first verse is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. The Bible tells us there, Then the Spirit of the Lord, the ESV says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. This is Saul. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into, what's that say? What does the Bible talk about when we're born again? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The Bible says that Saul will receive the Spirit upon him. He will prophesy and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. That's the beginning of Saul's ministry. At the end of his life, 
He does something, again, that was foolish. He goes, Brother Chad talked about this a few weeks ago when he did his Wednesday night. He goes to a medium, if you will, and he asks her to summon Samuel who had died. So he's basically doing some occult practice trying to call up the dead to speak with them. And he's having this conversation with Samuel who has passed on and he's still, Saul's still here. But why I bring this verse up from 1 Samuel 28, 19 is what Samuel says to him. Now, this could be interpreted in different ways. So I'm not saying this is a clear-cut, yes, Saul was saved kind of passage. But listen to what Samuel says to him. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul's going to be killed in battle and the Philistines are going to overtake Israel. Listen to what he says. And tomorrow... You and your sons will be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Samuel says, you're going to perish tomorrow and be with me. Now Samuel was obviously a believer and had gone on to be into the presence of the Lord. This could just be a reference to the fact that you will be dead. You will be in Sheol tomorrow. Or it could be that you will be in the presence of God with me, which is where I go with this because of this passage and others. Okay? So maybe I've convinced you that Saul was a believer. Maybe at least you're open to that possibility. But if you're not, I want to give you another example of someone that has a lot of similar characteristics to Saul. And that person is Samson. That person would be Samson. Let me read to you at the beginning of Samson's life and ministry. Judges 13.25. In Judges 13.25, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Not quite the same word that we saw when it said the Spirit would rush upon Saul. But similar ideas. There would be an empowering. There would be something that happens to these men. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him and Manahadon between Zorah and Eshtael. So we see that God's Spirit comes upon Samson. Now, let's go forward a few chapters to Judges 16.20. So Samson has done many foolish, disobedient things in his life. Okay? Up to this point. And now we fall at another example in Judges 16.20. She says, this is Delilah, says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. So she had bound him. They were trying to figure out what the source of his strength was. He finally let the cat out of the bag. They cut his hair. And you know the story probably. His his power is gone. But he did not know, verse 20 says of Judges 16, he did not know... What? What's that say? The Lord had left him. The word left him is the same exact Hebrew word that we find in our text today from 1 Samuel 16 that the Spirit had departed from Saul. This says that the Spirit of the Lord, or the Lord Himself, had left Samson. So let me ask you another question. Was Samson saved? Maybe I didn't convince you about Saul. Was Samson saved? Was Samson a believer? I think we have clear evidence scripturally of this that in fact 
Samson was a believer. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we have chapter 11, which is the great chapter of faith. Some call it the hall of faith, if you will. That speaks of great men in the Bible who were faithful to God, who were obedient to God, who served Him in their lives. Put up on the screen Hebrews 11.32. Look at the names listed there. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. He's in pretty good company on that list. I believe Samson was a believer and was saved. And I do believe that Saul was also. So why am I bringing all this up this morning in a message titled Powerless Christianity? Well, when we go back to our text today, 1 Samuel 16, 14, and I read this week over and over and studied this out over and over and over, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. I've told you this many times. The Bible was written in three languages. Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. There is a short section in Daniel that's written in Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek. So regardless of what translation you use, King James, ESV, NIV, at the end of the day, you are using a translation of the original languages. And when you translate any text from one language to another, there are certain words that are very difficult to translate into that vernacular. Okay? And so, why I bring that up is, when we read in the English that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Samuel, in our minds we think, He left town. He's gone. He didn't want anything to do with these jokers and he, he got out of there. But the Hebrew is a much richer language and it has much deeper meanings. And as I studied this out and as I looked at it contextually and in other places, oftentimes it's not necessarily, it can mean a complete departure, but oftentimes it means a turning aside. So if you're following someone Anybody here a backseat driver? Like you don't like to drive, but you always like to tell everybody what they ought to be doing. You don't want to drive, but you sure like to tell the driver how to drive. Are you that person? Don't be that person. Put, hit the altar this, before you leave, and don't be that person. I'm just kidding. But after a while, when you're driving or somebody's following you, you're like, you don't know where you're going. And yan, 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 yan. After a while, don't you just say, have at it. Have at it, genius. You got it all figured out. Here you go. I'm going to make an argument today that that is what we're seeing in this text of both Samson and Saul. That the Spirit didn't withdraw in the sense that He removed Himself and they were no longer connected to the Lord. But that because of their continual and habitual disobedience, the Spirit said, have at it, genius. You think you've got it all figured out? I'm just going to sit back and watch you go. And you'll see that you are, in fact, a powerless Christian without my leading and guiding. I'm going to try to make that argument biblically today for you. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, many places, there are many deceivers in the world. 
You can fool the pastor. You can fool the congregation. You can fool your friends and your family. But the Spirit of God has never been fooled. Not one false convert will ever make it to heaven. They may have their name on church memberships. They may serve in the body. They may be in the pulpit. But they will not be on the roll of heaven if they're not truly born again. And the Bible teaches us that only the Spirit of God can regenerate a heart. We can't make ourselves alive in Christ. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't be faithful enough. We can't earn salvation. It is a gift that comes by grace through faith. And the Spirit of God is the one that changes our hearts and makes us alive. The Bible also says this in Romans 8-9. Paul speaking there to the church in Rome says, You, however, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Listen to what he says here. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells, takes up residence in you. Listen to how he closes this verse. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It is impossible to be a saved believer devoid of the Spirit within you. Impossible. So we are left with only a few options when we read a text like we read today. Either the Spirit of God came and went, meaning folks were in Christ, out of Christ, in Christ, out of Christ. In other words, you can lose your salvation and regain it. Lose it and regain it. Some people, some theologians believe that the Spirit operated differently in the Old Testament. That He would, in fact, come and go. But in the New Covenant, He now indwells us and seals us. I would make the argument that Jesus' plan of salvation has never changed. It is by grace through faith, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Abraham, we could read Romans 4, for example, and see that Abraham was not saved by his works. Abraham was saved by faith. God promised him a seed in their old age that they would have a child and that that would in fact happen. And because of that birth... His inheritance would be as numerous as the stars of the sky, the sand on the sea. He would become the father of faith. It was by faith looking forward. Now you say, well, Jesus hadn't come yet. Well, no, He hadn't. But their faith in the Old Testament was a forward-looking faith. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Forward to the One that would lay down His life. Forward to the One who would be the sin-bearer, the atoning sacrifice. After the cross, in this church age, we have the Scriptures given to us. We know the story. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? We look back at the cross. We look back at what Jesus has done for us and place our faith in Him behind us. Looking forward to the day where we will see Him face to face. But regardless, it's always been salvation by grace through faith apart from works. And I would argue because of that, the Spirit of God always indwells a true believer, whether Old Covenant or New. The language is where I believe we get tripped up. When the Bible talks about the Spirit departing, it's not that He removes Himself and that person is now lost. 
It's that, as I said, He turns aside. He allows us, and we see this all through the Scriptures, He allows us to walk in the disobedience and the folly of not obeying Him. To teach us the lesson, to draw us deeper into our faith, to mature us. Over and over and over through the Scriptures, we see that happening. And I believe that's what the Bible is teaching us today. Now obviously, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the church is born, things changed on some levels. The Spirit operated differently. Christ had ascended. The Spirit would now come as the Comforter. I understand that His ministry may look a little different. But the operation of the Spirit positionally does not change. We are either in Christ or out of Christ. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in or you're out. It's not fluctuating because it depends on Him, brothers and sisters. It doesn't depend on us. If, if I have to hold to some standard every day, I'll never have any confidence in my assurance. I'll never have any assurance in my salvation rather because it's based on me. And I know I'm all over the place and so are you. But when it is anchored in the finished work of Jesus and the blood that He shed, tell me, how can you be held guilty for the sin that He died for? How can you once again stand before God with stains on your account, if you will, knowing that Jesus paid it all? He either died to wash it all away, or we have no hope. We're still in our sins. So I believe that as we look at these texts from Samson and Saul, and we could look at others, we are looking at men who were believers, but lived much of their life in a powerless Christianity, if you will, because they disobeyed, and God said, the Spirit said, here you go. And sadly, there are people in this room, there are people all over this country that are truly saved, that truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, that live absolutely powerless lives each and every day because they fail to surrender themselves to the hand that needs to go into the glove to make it operate. Alright? 1 Samuel 16.14, stay with me. I want you to see some things here. The Spirit of the Lord... I'm, going to, I'm not going to use the term departed. I'm going to use turned aside just to try to get that in your mind. The Spirit of the Lord turned aside from Saul. And then look what it says. A harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Again, I always encourage you as you study the Bible, everybody has a main translation that you use. But I encourage you to have several translations just to compare with as you study. It's important to get several different versions to just see things. Maybe in a different light. Maybe in one translation it's not as clear to you. Sometimes just reading it in a different, language, in a different translation will help. But one thing I want to encourage you to see when you study the Bible. If you read multiple translations and every translation uses a different word, that's probably a good hint for you that this is a difficult word to translate. Like there is, most of the time on most words, there's a consensus, whether King James, ESV, whatever text they used, there'll be a consensus. There'll be small changes in the wording, but most of the time the words are pretty consistent. But if you look at words, and in every translation, they seem pretty different. 
it's a good hint that, that something's going on in that original language. It just made it really tough for the translators to actually give an English word that made sense. When you look at 1 Samuel 16, 14, and you see that word in the ESV, it says a harmful spirit. The King James, the NIV, and the NASB say an evil spirit. The New Living Translation says a tormenting spirit. There's an old translation that's still really good. I don't think probably many of you, if any, would use it, but it's called Young's Literal Translation. Very accurate to the original text. And I thought it was interesting what it uses there. It says, a spirit of sadness. So why would we have harmful, evil, tormenting, a spirit of sadness, troubling spirit was one I saw in another translation. Why is it all these different words? Why can't we come to some idea of what kind of spirit this was? So I started to dig in a little deeper on the Hebrew, and I'm not going to bore you to death with language studies. But in the Hebrew... The word, at its most literal definition, is in fact evil or unpleasant. But it's kind of like in, in English when we use the word love. Like in today's society, love is a blanket term for all kinds of stuff, isn't it? And so in the Greek, it was very specific. You know, they had different eros, phylos, agape. You could have different kinds of love and it was real clear what it was. Not so in English, just love is the only word we got. And we use it for everything. Evil is kind of the same way here. And here's why I'm bringing all this up to you. It can mean to give pain, sadness, misery. It was a word that was used of cattle or sheep that had a blemish or weren't pure. It was used of water that had impurities in it. You can see how vast the meaning of this Hebrew word is and why for English translators it's so hard to nail this down. But at the, at the core of this, why I'm bringing all this up, why I want to apply this to the message today, the Bible says that this harmful, tormenting, evil, troubling spirit came upon the Lord and look what it says. What did that Spirit do in 1 Samuel 16, 14? What did the Spirit do to Samuel? It says, it troubled him. It tormented him. It literally overwhelmed him. That's what it means in the Hebrew. This Spirit from the Lord, because the Holy Spirit had said, you're not going to obey? Have at it. God says, okay. You want to do it your way? I'm going to remove my hand of protection from you. And you are open season for the enemy. The Spirit comes along and it troubles, it overwhelms Saul. It cripples him. It paralyzes him. It causes him to have fear. It causes him to have all sorts of anxious thoughts. It causes him to be immobilized in his life. It will eventually cause him to have so much frustration and tension that he becomes anger and he sits around all day with a spear in his hand and he's ready to throw it at David every time David comes along because he can't stop thinking about him losing the kingdom and now David has it and he's mad all the time. Brothers and sisters, does that not sound like our world today? How many people, and I'm not talking about out there, I'm talking about believers that are overwhelmed that are troubled, that are despairing, 
that are hurting, that are trying to figure this thing out and just don't know what's up or down anymore in this world today, that are true born-again believers that love the Lord but have settled into a type of powerless Christianity that can't seem to get over the hump, that can't seem to get victory in their lives, that can't seem to draw from the promises of God and make any movement forward. I see it all over. I've wrestled with that question lately for the last few years. Why is the state of our world, and more importantly the state of the church, kind of settled into this rut that it is in, and we can't seem to find the power that Jesus promised His church to have? We read the book of Acts and we see a church that was powerful. We see a church that was preaching the Gospel. We see a church that was going out into the world and making a difference. And now we look around and we say the church almost seems non-existent. Why? Has God changed? Has His promises changed? Has His Spirit dwindled? No! Not at all! So the conclusion must be that it lies with us. Brothers and sisters, it has to lie with us. And I would make the case, and I want to close with this thought today. Just as Saul continued to reject the things that God had given him, and God said, there you go. The Spirit said, I'll pull back, and I'll let you have your way. I believe the New Testament teaches us that the same fate can come upon us as believers. We're not lost. We don't lose our salvation. But the Bible says that we can grieve the Spirit. The Bible says that we can quench the Spirit. Have you ever thought about what that means? Have you ever thought about how your actions can directly correlate to how God displays His power through you or lack thereof? Have you ever considered that? It's wonderful that God touched us and something floods our soul and something happened that we're new. But isn't it a sad thing to claim the name of Christ, to be one of His, and have no power on your life to make any impact in the world and the people around you? What a sad place to be, and yet we see that. And maybe that's you. Maybe I'm describing you to a T this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. That literally means to put out the fire, to extinguish a lamp. We're called to let our light shine, church. And oftentimes, there's no lights on in the house. It's dark and dim. Not because we're lost, but because we fail to reflect the light of God in us and show it outside of us. In other words, we've been disobedient and we've lost the power of God in our life. I'm not preaching this morning a message that says necessarily that The power I'm talking about is all external stuff. Raising the dead. Speaking in tongues. Doing all sorts of external miraculous things. I'm talking about the fact that just the Spirit of God and the power within us that sets us apart and makes us different. That makes us different to a watching world. So you don't need to have a fish on your bumper of your car. You don't need to wear Christian t-shirts for people to know that there's something different about you. That they see it in your life before you ever open your mouth. Why is it? Why are people shocked when they find out you go to church? Why are people shocked when they find out that you are a believer? Why are people shocked and even ridiculing you if they see a Bible in your car? They ought to know who you are. They ought to know what you stand for. 
They ought to know it by your life. But we have become so powerless and so inept at allowing God to work through us that the world thinks we're just like them. And they're shocked when they find out that we're saved. It should never be that way. It should not be that way. And we all fall short, I understand that. But we ought to live a consistent life, and we can. We can live a consistent life. If we'll let the Spirit of God work through us. Saul disobeyed. Samson disobeyed. We disobey. But when we continue in that pattern for a season, God says, have at it. You want to keep trying it your way? We'll get the lesson across one way or another. I've tried to keep you from falling on your face, but you insist on falling on your face, so down you go. And I'll be here to pick you up when you fall. But I'm going to let you fall. It's sad that we have to fall on our face so many times before we look up. But it's a hard lesson to get through these noggins. And we keep going through it over and over and over again. I want to read you some words. I think we can even have them on the screen. I want to read you some words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about those words for a minute. Be honest. Don't say it out loud. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much of those things do you see in the world, in the church, and in your life today, currently? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't see much of that. I don't. I see people. I see unloving people. I see unkind people all over the place. Why? Because we have become disconnected from obedience to the Spirit and power in the Spirit. And the result is we are walking around as born-again believers who are carnal. We're living carnal lives. We are allowing the flesh to control us far too much. And the result is painfully obvious. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk around and be a powerless Christian. I don't want to be an oxymoron. I don't want to say, Jesus, the Jesus that spoke the world into existence, the Jesus that rose from the dead, the same Spirit that rose Him from the dead lives in me, but I can't even forgive somebody when they wrong me. I'm mad all the time. I'm joyless all the time. I walk around defeated all the time. I don't want to live that way. Do you? No. We should never want to live that way. And far too often we do, and far too often we've accepted that as normal. It's not normal. We are different, brothers and sisters. We are different because Jesus, the Spirit of God, lives within us. We are different. We are set apart. I found this quote. It stomped all over my feet when I read it. Every Christian has the Spirit, but the Spirit does not have every Christian. Every Christian has the Spirit, but the Spirit does not have every Christian. It's wonderful to be saved. Best thing that can ever happen to you. But my goodness, it's a sad thing to be saved and not showing it. Not living it out. Not helping others with your gift and your time and your talents and your treasures. If you're tired this morning of being a powerless Christian, if you're tired of being a Christian in name only, we don't like rhino Republicans if you're Republican, do you? Well, you know, there's Sinos. Not just rhinos, there's Sinos. Christians in name only. You know? We shouldn't just walk around and say, I'm saved. Going to heaven one day. We ought to live it out. So people say, they're different. I want what they have. I don't know what's going on with them, but they are different. And I see it in their life. That church is different. 
They don't just have service twice a week. They're making a difference in their communities. They're making a difference in their families. They're making a difference in this country. We're not going to vote our way out of this mess, guys. The gospel is going to have to change hearts. And the gospel is only going to go out if we take it out there. That's our only hope. And so if you want to change, I'm not going to give you anything earth-shattering today. I'm going to just give you straightforward, basic, biblical one-on-one. If you want to have power in your life, here's what you do. Three things. Surrender. Obey. Repeat. For the rest of your life. Surrender. Obey. Repeat. I wish I could tell you I'm going to preach this message. You're going to come to the altar. Pray that God will give you the power in your life. Get up out of here and never again lose it. And maybe you won't. I pray you don't. But I would be more convinced that every day you're going to have to get up and say, Lord, give me that power again and again and again. Help me to crucify the flesh again and again and again. Help me to get back up when I fail and keep my eyes on you again and again and again. I don't think there's a silver bullet or a magic pill. I think you've got to dig in and say every day I'm going to pursue Jesus. Every day I'm going to search for Jesus. Every day I'm going to make an effort to get in the Word, to get on my knees, to seek Jesus and let Him work through me. Or else you will continue to live a powerless life as long as you're disconnected from the source. I'm done, but I want to give you one more Scripture. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is getting ready to go back to be with the Father. I think it's interesting. Of all the things, if you, were, if you had a chance to give one final message to your family before you left, before you died, think about what you would say. I'd probably tell them how much I love them, how much they mean to me, maybe share some good reflections of times we had together. This is the last time that Jesus in the flesh, here in His ministry before He comes back again, is going to speak to them. And notice what He says. You will receive... What's that say? Power. When will they receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the result of that will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the world. My friends, He promised those early believers that the power would come when the Spirit would come. The Spirit came on Pentecost. The church was born. I don't see anything in my Bible that says the church has ceased, that power has ceased, that these promises have ceased. And so the promise that He gave them is the promise to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. When you are saved, the Spirit of God comes into you and you have that power source in you. The reason we don't live like it is we quench the Spirit. We quench it. I don't care what you say. Just go back and be honest. Search the Scriptures and you will find that disobedience leads to God removing the power from your life because He's more concerned about your relationship than all the ministry that you do. He's not concerned that I continue to, pass, to pastor K. Russo Baptist Church if I'm not connected to Him. He's much more concerned with me and His relationship than He is about making sure that I'm standing in this pulpit. He can put another man in this pulpit tomorrow that will carry on this work, that will preach the Gospel faithfully. He doesn't need Chris Theobald for K. Russo Baptist Church to exist. But I and you most definitely need the Spirit of God if we're going to do anything as a church to be effective. Absolutely.
And so we need that power, church. I'm going to invite uh, Phyllis to come. And we're going to give a, have an invitation. But I want you to do something while she's coming. Uh, Tiffany and Sarah, you come too. I want you to play along with me real quick. Get in your pockets. Get in your purse. I know some of you that are younger don't have car keys. But I want you to get out your car key. Just get them out. You can make noise, joke around in your purse. You're going to get them out anyway. I'd rather you do it now than in the middle of the invitation and distract everybody. So get them out now. And then you already have them out. If you don't drive, just think about who you came with today because somebody drove you here, right? So somebody, and don't be the backseat driver either. So get your car keys out. Everybody got them? I want you to set them on the floor in front of you. Just set them down on the floor in front of you. You forgetful people, don't forget them there. But I want you to think about something. All of you that had the car keys that drove today, there's a vehicle out there in the parking lot. There is a vehicle out there in the parking lot. You lay down your car keys. You have got to make a decision when you leave this building today. You can leave those keys right where they are, or you can pick them up and take them with you when you get out in that car. One of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be sitting out in that parking lot Monday when I come back, cold, frozen, an icicle, or you're going to be gone. And what is going to make the difference is what you do with that key. There's a power source under every one of those hoods out there. If it's a Ford, it's a little better than the rest. But every one of them's got a power source in there. Amen, Justin? Everybody has got something under that hood that's going to power that vehicle down the road. But until you stick that key in the ignition and turn that tumbler and that solenoid opens and the starter turns the crankshaft and that engine fires over, that thing will not go anywhere. You've got to make a decision to take that key and use it to empower that engine. It's no different today, church. You've sat in here and listened to me way too long and you want to get out of here, but I'm telling you, you can take what I've said today and you can apply it or you can walk out of here and be powerless just like you were this morning when you come in. It's up to you. But you have got to take faith, which is your key, and put it in the ignition and activate it because that's the only thing that's going to enable the Spirit to move in your life. And before you even think about doing anything for Jesus, the question today is, does Jesus know you? The Bible says that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. If you've never received that power, I'm not concerned about you signing up for ministry or working in the nursery or being a greeter. I want you to come to know Christ. And you do that by faith. You activate the power of the Gospel, the saving power of the Gospel that Jesus did for you through faith alone. You say today, Lord Jesus, I am lost. I have no hope of heaven and no hope of pleasing You. But I want to turn to You today. I want to trust You. I want You to be my Savior. And if You will come and from Your heart, humbly admit that need, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon His name shall be saved. But if you're a believer and you're so tired of limping along through life with no power, make a decision today. Get out of the way. Let the Spirit lead you. Let the Spirit take control again. Surrender your life. Obey the Word and repeat it every day. Take those keys literally and spiritually. Put them in the ignition and let God drive. He'll take you where you need to go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to You today thankful, Lord, that You have enabled us to have victory in this life. Victory over sin. Victory over defeat. Victory over death. Victory over everything that holds us enslaved. Lord, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to stumble. You know that. You said that we would suffer in this life. That we would have tribulation. But 
we can be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. Help us to not be satisfied to let this tormenting spirit continue to hold us back, to tell us lies, to make us believe things that aren't true about ourselves. That we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are seated together in the heavenly places. Lord, help us to live with the power that is in us. Help us, Lord, to believe that and by faith to walk in it. To trust You. To not boast in ourselves, but to boast in You. God, help us to do that today so that we can show a watching world that we are different. That our God is alive. And He is powerful. And He is coming back. And we want them to be ready. And the only way they'll ever be ready is if we share the good news with them and they see it in our lives. Help us, Lord, today to be different to not be powerless Christians, but powerful Christians in word and deed and truth as we follow the Spirit. And we give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we stand and as we sing.